Jesus forgave everything for us, okay? Everything we've ever done, everything we might currently be doing, everything we'll ever do, all of it, God. Okay, Jesus forgives all of it. And therefore, he will not allow us to hold anything against anyone. He says, I'm going to forgive anything you all your stuff. We don't get the luxury, or we don't get to say, you know, Malika, I'm not at you, you don't have my feelings, and I'm going to not forgive you. Okay, and that's the essence of forgiveness. That's literally what Jesus is saying. So, keeping that in mind, we see with, with, we see a cycle take place. All right? Offense comes. All right? Who has ever been offended in this room? Okay, so I should probably see 100% participation here. Okay. If not, we'll talk after. Um, like how you escape that. When offense comes, here's a thought. The people that tend to hurt us the most deeply are the people that we're closest to. Okay? People that are other Christians. People that we think should know better, people that shouldn't say those things to us, people that shouldn't do those things, those tend to be the people that hurt us the most. And it hurts because we think, why did they do that? They know better than that. And so offense comes, all right? And if we don't deal with offense, then it turns into unforgiveness. And then the next step, unforgiveness, if, it, if that's not dealt with, it turns into bitterness, okay? And so let me just tell you my grandmother's story. Um, my dad's mom, from the time I think I was a kid, the time I can remember, was, okay, let's do her. I mean, she's dead enough, bless her soul. What we said, God rest her soul. No, she, she passed away, but she remembered every hurtful thing that was ever done to her. She could tell me, she would, she would tell my sister and I, well, I remember when your Aunt Dee said this and this and this to me, I was nine and she was ten. But she had clarity. She was like 70 years old. And she could remember everything that had ever been done to her. Every offense. Okay? And that offense in her life turned into unforgiveness. And that unforgiveness turned into bitterness. And let me tell you how the end of her life went. We would go visit her and we called them good days and bad days because we don't really know how else to phrase it. But we might go visit her and she was having a good day and she'd be pleasant and it would be great, and we'd have this visit. And then she would have bad days, more bad days than good days, and we would go see her, and she would begin to, I think the only way I can say it is spew. She would begin to spew out negative stuff, and hurtful stuff, and painful stuff. And my, I had two aunts, we might have said it down the hallway, I'll holler when we get to the end of you. She thought she felt like I was the exact same as her oldest daughter, and her younger sister, and my oldest aunt. And then she felt like my sister was just like um, her middle daughter. Okay, so she had in her mind that I was Lynn and my sister was was Sally. And Lynn couldn't do anything wrong, and Sally did everything wrong. And so, as even as adults, we would go see her. My kids were little, and we would go see her and. She would just take one look at my sister and start it. And, oh, why are you wearing that shirt? That makes you look fat. You look like you've gained weight. I mean, it was just the spewing of awful and hurtful things. And sometimes it was directed at me. Sometimes, usually when Ryan was there, she kept it in check. And but if he wasn't there, then look out. But so I would leave every time we visit her. I would leave. I would go on the way home. 
we're in the car, and I'm just screaming. And so I'm worried, how the hell could she say that? Even if she thought that was true, you don't say that to people. You know, I mean, I just went on and on and on and on. And finally, one day, Ryan said, to me, Boy, you're going on and on about this, and none of this affects her in any way. She doesn't bother her at all that I'm having conditions, but obviously. He said, it affects you. And then that's when I just had this revelation, like, that my, I was holding, I was offended at my grandmother being offended at other people, okay? And my offense was turning to unforgiveness, was turning into bitterness, and I had to let go of that. It was keeping me in bondage. It, it only, it was destroying me. And so, this bondage, and I had to let that go. And, and that's what I want to encourage you today, is that we have to let that stuff go. So we might say, how do we do that? Well, I'm about to tell you. It's a choice. We have a choice to make. Forgiveness is not a feeling. It's like we make a decision that we're going to forgive, and we probably don't feel any different than what we choose to forgive. Okay? But eventually, feelings will change and come later. It's just like love. You know, love is not a feeling. Infatuation, definitely a feeling. Love is an action. It's a choice that we make. And so our, I have a story about this because sometimes what can happen is you can be in a situation with someone that's hurtful to you or offending you, and, like, you live with them or you see them every day. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, it's somebody that there's this ongoing offense. Like, you think, okay, I'm praying through forgiveness, and then, boom, oh, and they say something else that they shouldn't say to you. And so when that happens, really it's this process that we have to go through. And I remember Brian and I had an employer who we worked for, and every week he said something offensive. And I, I couldn't even tell you what it was, which is good, because for me, as I choose to forgive, stuff kind of fades off in the distance, and, uh, so that's a good thing. But... It's like I would, I would say, God, I choose to forgive, and then he, he would say something else. The next time we saw him, every, it seemed like every time we saw him, there was something else, something else. And so what we have to do is this. So can anybody in here, like, even in this moment, think of something that someone said that's offended you? You don't have to share it, but okay. <laughs> okay, all right. So just think about that thing. So what you'll do is you will say, God, I'm choosing to forgive. Choosing to forgive, you know, so-and-so for saying this thing. All right? So you say that. You choose that. And then you will probably think about it again, what they said. More than once, doesn't that usually happen? Like it plays through your head, thinking about it, thinking about it. So every time you think about it, you have to say, wait, God, I choose to forgive. I choose to forgive. I'm choosing to forgive. And so what would happen with me and this boss is he would say some new thing, which reminded me of the seven other things that he said in the last few weeks, and it would all kind of come, you know, leaping back to the surface. And so what I would have to do is just say, God, I choose to forgive, and then it, and then I would try to stop thinking about it. So then when I thought about it again, which I happened every time, then I said, boy, God, I choose to forgive. Try not to let yourself have like a mental runaway with it. You know, I'm talking about where you're saying new things back. Does anybody ever do that? I do. <laughs> so. Well, I could have said this, and I should have said this, and the reality is that I shouldn't have, and so it's a good thing that I didn't. But, so, I, I would choose to forgive, and maybe in that one day, 58 times, 
I would have to say, wait a minute, God, I choose to forgive you. Because it keeps coming back, it keeps coming back. So every time it comes back, we have to say, wait a minute, God, I choose to forgive. So then maybe the next day, you wake up and you go 10 minutes before thinking about it again. Okay? And so then after 10 minutes, you start thinking about it again. You say, wait a minute, God, I choose to forgive. I'm choosing to let this go. And on and, and so it goes. And maybe, you know, 14 days into it, you'll have like half a day where you don't even think about it. For half a day? That's good. Okay? And then when you think about it again, you think, oh, I'm choosing to forget. So it's this choice that we make. It's this action that we take. And in the middle can be new offense, and you just lump it all together with all your offense, and you say, God, I'm choosing to forget this person. So what can happen when we choose to forgive? We also need to remember that part unforgiveness, because God says to forgive when we're in unforgiveness, that means we've missed the mark. Okay, we basically sin. And so there's also an element of repentance of saying, God, you know, I repent for my unforgiveness, I choose to forgive. Okay? And the same thing with bitterness. I believe that had my grandmother made a decision to forgive instead of just spewing work on it all over everyone all the time, that that's literally what it was, that, that God would forgive her. He would have forgiven her. But she, instead, she clung to all that offense, and it defined her. It really did. And you don't want to be that person. So here she is, my old grandmother, at the end of her life, and nobody wants to go see her. Nobody wants to be around her. Nobody wants to interact with her because it's so awful. And I don't want that in my life. I don't want that for my grandkids and my great-grandkids, and I don't think you want that either. So keep in mind, this doesn't just affect you. This affects the people around you. So how do you know you forgive? This is a good question. Two things. One, we can think about something that happened, and instead of it instantly bringing that emotional response right to the surface of anger or whatever, we, we can think about it, and it doesn't create that emotional reaction. Does that make sense? Like, that's one way we can know that we really have forgiven is when we just think about it from a more objective perspective, and it doesn't instantly make us angry about everything. Okay, that's the first way. The second way is we can truly want healing and we want what's best for that person. Because people hurt people out of their own brokenness. Okay? They hurt us because they're they're hurting. And when we can realize that and that part of that is this process of forgiveness, but when we can really genuinely want what's best for them and want them to heal them, forgiveness. Okay, that's so those are some signals. So if you're not sure if you're walking in forgiveness towards someone, if you are instantly offended and emotionally angry and on a runaway with it, red flag, you haven't forgiven. But that's good because that's how we know. Okay, it's pretty simple. So I, I want to also just say this. There are horrible things that happen to people. And we're not talking about forgiveness. You know, I'm talking more about offense and someone said something they shouldn't have and hurt my feelings or said something cruel. But... There are people who experience victimization, okay? And let me just, I'm just going to take a little side thing here, but what about those people? What about people who've been raped? What about people who've had family members murdered? What about, do you know what I'm saying, where you, either you or someone near you has been victimized? Um, the good news is you can't forget, okay? So if that's you, if that's your story, and if and something has been done to you that's horrible like that, you can't forget because of that. And I have a story that I'm just going to read a little bit of. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Corrie Ten Boom. She was a Dutch Christian in World War II. She and her family hid Jewish people from the Nazis, basically. And 
she and her older sister were, they were found, the, the, so her mom had already died when it, when it happened, but, so she and her sister went to a concentration camp as well as her father and brother, and she's the only one that lived through it. And she was, in, she was probably in her 50s when this happened, when they sent her to a concentration camp, and she and her sister, and her sister was really victimized and brutalized by one of the guards there. Okay, so she, she watched the whole thing. She has this vivid memory of it, and her sister died there in the camp. She lived, and I think it was something like four or five days away from, they would just come in randomly in, in these camps and say, oh, okay, if you're, if you're this, then, you know, we're going to kill you, and, you know, it come down. Anybody over 50 in, you know, like five days, we're going to exterminate everybody over 50. And so she was literally days away from being exterminated and got released on some clerical error. And they handed her papers and they sent her out the door and she lived through it. And had she been there four more days or five more days, they would have exterminated her. And so she has this powerful story, you know, clerical error, like, okay, God did something really cool. So why did her sister die in the camp and she didn't? I don't know. That's, that is for God to know and I guess us to maybe, you know, understand when we get to heaven and we can ask him, but but so she spent, then she was released from this prison, and she spent her life traveling around the world, talking about forgiveness, talking about the love of God, talking about lice. She said God uses even lice. In that concentration camp, in the dorms, the guards would go in there because they had lice, and so they, they shared their faith, she and her sister, with I mean, countless women around the world in these this concentration camps. And so she travels around the world, but in her story, she is speaking powerfully on forgiveness and powerfully and and really just, you know, the, Germany was broken. She traveled around Germany after World War II with the, all the Hitler stuff. And so it was, how they tell you, you should always put your bookmark in there so you don't have to do this. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I thought that earlier. Did you do it? All right. So she says this. The most pressing need in post-war Germany was homes. Nine million people were said to be without them. They were living in rubble. Yes. Rubble heaps, half-standing buildings, and abandoned army trucks. A church group invited me to speak to a hundred families living in an abandoned factory building. Sheets and blankets had been hung between the various living quarters to make a pretense of privacy, but there were was no Insulating the sounds, the wail of a baby, the din of radios, the angry words of a family quarrel. How could I speak to these people of the reality of God and then go back to my quiet room in the church hostel outside the city? No, before I could bring a message to them, I would have to live among them. Oh, wow, that is the wrong part. Okay. It was out of here we go. This is really hard. It was at a church service in Munich that I saw him, the former SS man who had stood guard at the shower room door from the processing center in Ravensbrück. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time. And suddenly it was all there: the room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, and Betsy—that's her sister. Betsy's pain blanched face. And so he just, her sister was beautiful. He raped her and brutalized her. 
So here's this man, here's this card in this service that she's just spoken at. She says, it came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming and bowing. How grateful I am for your message, Fraulein, he said, to think that, as you say, he has washed my sins away. His hand was thrust out to shake mine, and I, who had preached so often to the people in Blumenthal the need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. <laughs> Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. <clears throat> was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I pray, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing. Not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder along my arm and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for the stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his, meaning Jesus. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives, along with the command, the love itself. She said it took a lot of love. And so here, I just want to encourage you that if that's your story, if you've been victimized, that just like Corey Tinder who said, God, I can't forgive this person. The Holy Spirit through her forgave. And she was freed from that, she was released from that bondage. And when she described this boiling remembrance of what had happened. And so I want to read one more scripture, and then I want to take a little time and pray. Matthew chapter 6, in the back few pages, Matthew 6, 14 and 15. Matthew 6, 14 and 15 says this, and this is Jesus, he's just delivering his Sermon on the Mount, so he's telling them all about all kinds of things, okay? Fulfilling the law and adultery and divorce and loving your enemies and all that stuff. So he's just spoken all this stuff. And then he tells them, this is how you should pray. That's verse 9. The Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven. And he, he says that. But then immediately after the Lord's Prayer, he says this to them. That is